Hey, it's Joel, and I'm excited to speak to you again for this preamble episode to season three. I'm not re- restarting season three quite yet. We will be doing that in 2021, but I had the pleasure and opportunity to speak with Ethan Nelson of the Becoming Conscious podcast, and I wanted to share this conversation with you because it is very much aligned with what I've been talking about, what we've been talking about with our guests these past few weeks uh, in season two. So this is going to be a bridge between season two and season three. And this is a full full conversation that Ethan and I get into in the depths of what really matters in life, which is becoming the truest self to integrate all parts of self in order to show up in the world as someone who is authentic and present and trigger-free and generous and compassionate and curious. This is the path to building a planet of world peace, of harmony and compassion and win-win situations, win-win interactions, trust and communication and love. So I have this right now while I'm speaking to you, this part of me that's chiming in this what I'm identifying as an inner critic, you might say, and I'm seeking to be present right now in this moment to share this with you, to, to exemplify what I'm talking about with this message. Because I have this part of me that was chiming in a second ago saying, Joel, you need to press stop on the recording of this monologue because this is not good enough of a monologue. You've messed up. You had a stutter earlier. You have an imperfect beginning to this podcast. So it needs to stop and restart. And I'm trying to ride this wave right now and notice this separate part of me. And this is the key. And this is what Ethan and I get into is when we can notice these parts of ourselves are part of us, not simply uh, the honest truth of the situation, but rather the conditioning the childhood conditioning at play. So we have these projections and we think we need to control. But really, if we can identify these parts as separate fragments, the inner critics, right? The protector parts from internal family systems therapy, the managers, the firefighters. These are parts that are not the grounded, truest, present, trusting, wise, capital S self. When we can identify and unblend from those parts, we can then integrate them intentionally into the psyche. So I'm seeing that inner critic in me right now already beginning to calm, calm himself because... Oh, he he was noticed. He was noticed. He was saying, thank you for at least acknowledging me, right? So I was able to see that this part of me 
is a part, first of all, to not become that and be like, oh, I need to stop right now. This is not good enough. I'm not good enough. I always mess up, right? This perfectionism, right? That's another you know, name to inner critics. There are several types of inner critics. But um, I'm noticing this part first, observation. And I can have compassion for that part that wants to get a need met. This is the process. This is what we call in this conversation, Ethan and I, and what I've, what I've mentioned on this podcast, the real work, the real work is within us all the time. And all these moments, the conditioning, the self hate is constantly there for most of us because most of us went through this culture, right? This culture is based upon domination systems of control and, and top down, right? From our parents to our teachers. And the way the forward is to pause and to notice what is, what is occurring. To not blame and shame, but to interrupt the cycle. Interrupt the cycle. So we have a beautiful conversation about this realm. And I hope that this sends you off into the rest of the year in a positive manner and that it is beneficial to you in your own journey, in your own journey of self-growth and self-acceptance and conscious living and responsible living and purposeful living and assertive living to be who you really are to ask yourself what you really want what we also talk about in the show is minimalism and letting go of the stuff that's not serving you and having the courage to say i don't want this in my life I don't want this particular experience, job, relationship, sweatshirt, saying, I don't want this. If you actually have the honesty to say what you want and don't want, it's the first step to really coming alive in your own life and scripting the story that matters to you. And that can also be inspiring to other people you start with yourself in integrating the unhealed parts and to become the true self and to say i really want this i'm not going to let one of these parts take over and just numb my truest desires but to heal and then through the process of healing to assert one's truest desires, to let go and say no to what you really want to say no to and go in the direction that really matters. So now I have another inner critic saying I've gone on too long. <laughs> I will go ahead and wrap up this opening and pass it off to Ethan Nelson in the Becoming Conscious podcast. I encourage you to check it out.
And Ethan is actually another Praxis um, uh, alum. He, he just finished the entire program, I believe, for Praxis. And he, he's, I think, 19 years old, and he's been running the Be- Becoming Conscious show for a few years. So pretty impressive stuff. And he's way further along in the journey than, than I ever was at age 19. So I'm grateful for the connection that we've begun in these ideas of, of consciousness and, and identifying these parts of the psyche and how that can be the way forward for our species and for our own happiness that we, we talk about that at the end as well. Okay. We're going up towards 10, nine minutes of this, of this opening. So becoming po- becoming conscious podcast, Ethan Nelson, hope you enjoy and wishing you a wonderful end of 2020 and a happy holiday season. Cheers. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Drew. It's nice to have you. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I think usually I ask people, like, what's your backstory? What's all the context? But I'm starting – I I think today I just want to just dive right into it, if that's cool with you. Yeah, man. Sounds great. Yeah. And then uh, if you want backstory on Joel, for everyone listening, I'll put some links in the description that will link to – information about him um so yeah let's we were talking about before before we hit record on um healing and emotional work so i think maybe that's a good place to start in and then uh, wherever it goes so what let's we were talking about how we see a very disconnect between between the spiritual and the scientific circles right so you see very healing like healing is everything self-love just self-love that'll solve all your problems or like this very like uh spirituality is the only way type of mindset and then you also see that in the scientific communities where it's like oh uh like uh, scientific research and like being in a lab like stuff we learn in the lab is the end-all be-all if we create this drug it'll solve some psychological neurochemical imbalance and that will solve all your psychological problems so we were talking about balancing that so i'm uh yeah, I was wondering if you had a, if you want to speak about that, whatever was arising as I was talking about that, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. Well, it relates to this concept of all or nothing thinking and getting wedded to one way. And from what I understand, that's actually a an indicator of past traumatic experience is getting locked into black and white thinking, either or thinking. And I think when we heal, we start seeing the world in a more open way, in a more playful and curious way, and we don't get locked in to one scientific or spiritual, right? Left brain or right brain, right brain, Um, objective or subjective, head, heart, Right. What we want to do is merge the yin and the yang to walk the tightrope, to walk that little curve that separates the yin and the yang and say yes and and include all of this, these these ways of thinking in a comprehensive manner. So 
to say only be spiritual and just love yourself and just tune into your heart. Well, what does that mean in an objective scientific way? Let's be curious and then let's merge these two. So something like healing past traumatic experience, I think is, I mean, I need to dive more into the research here, but from what I've gathered, it's pretty clear. There's neurological processes at play when you do meditation work and revisiting past experiences and processing emotions. Say you have a traumatic experience at, at age eight and you learned at that age to, to cope and suppress the, the feelings of overwhelm and sadness and frustration. You didn't express those. Okay. So you need to release that energy. I mean, what does that mean to release the energy when you, when you, when you go ahead and, and cry and you let that energy out, is that just some esoteric spiritual emotional fluff? <laughs> not just, right? The key word is it's not just that, right? It's like, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's ineffable, right? It's also, there's something going on just physically in the body if you, uh, that, that can be measured by science. Maybe, maybe we don't know exactly what that is, but... Uh, when we use our capacity for reason, we can see that everything has cause and effect. So there's uh, nerve. The nervous system is 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 evolving and growing and healing or, or modifying. Maybe is, is a scientific word, right? Or you're creating new synapses, new connections between nerves when you start to replace past beliefs, right? right? You might have a past belief based on childhood experience that you, it's not safe to speak your mind. Oh, and then you, as you heal, you realize, oh, that it's, that's this wounded part and integrate that in. And I realize it is safe to speak my mind. And now I'm creating this new neurological connection, this new belief system, right? So this is all to say that we can kind of have this open mindset and see the world in through a variety of lenses and merge this sort of objective or subjective and head in the heart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's coming up is like, as we heal, we start, we take less and less this all or nothing type of mindset. And what, what was coming up for me is it, it's gotta be something relating to like, we don't feel the need to judge, to blame, like all these emotions, like the healing work is processing these emotions that are behind the, like thinking I'm better than other, like pride or pride or like you're wrong. I hate this. I'm fearful of this thing. So as we heal, it's, there's gotta be something there of we're getting rid of a lot of the baseline emotions that cause this external manifestation, this, these actions, these, uh, However, these actions are where these coming from. They're coming from some of these emotions that we're in the process of healing, right? And something that came up too while you're talking is we see, like you said, all right brain or left brain, all this way or that way. Um, it's very, there's this very intricate balance that you, that you were uh, getting at there. And what I've seen is that like 
it's very challenging for people to let both of those coincide at the same time and to give the same like level of reality to both of those at the same time. I don't know if you've seen this at all, but it's like um, emotions. It's like, all right, emotions are real, but from like the scientific level, then they, we, there's a very reduction, sorry, there's a very reductionist viewpoint on both ends of the spectrum. Right. So it's like uh, the science is like, everything is brain chemistry. And then they try to reduce emotions to brain chemistry. Oh, and emotion is just, firing in the brain or something. And then on the other side, like the, the mystical side, it's like, Oh, um, those neurochemicals are just consciousness. They're not real. Like they're just something arising in my consciousness type of thing. So it's, uh, yeah, it's like when we, when we, uh, integrate both of those, there's gotta be something there around, like both of those can coexist and be just as real as the other. None is more real than the other. None is more true than the other. They're just both true. They're both real. And uh, yeah, that's what that was coming up as I was talking with you. Um, I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that. Oh, or, yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that word again, just, right? Just this versus just that. And when we merge two seemingly opposing veins, of thinking schools of thought, we see that it's yes. And right. That's, that's a, a term in the improv acting world is yes. And so when someone says a line in improvisatory uh, situation, right. You want to take a yes. And mindset so that you work off of whatever that person says to continue the scenes development rather than, Oh no, I wasn't expecting you to do that. So no, we're not going to do that. And then the scene's energy dies. So yes, and is saying there is truth in whatever perspective you're bringing. The question is, where is that truth? And of course, we want to also be skeptical, right? That's why I love philosophy. What is philosophy? It's the love of wisdom. And it's so fun to play these games of merging openness with skepticism, right? It's also walking a tightrope in yang yeah merge be simultaneously open-minded and skeptical right aristotle said the mark of an educated mind is one who is willing to entertain an idea without accepting it so it's a really fun way to live and i i'm smiling right now because i just get a lot of joy out of playing with ideas and i i wish that upon every soul on our planet is the joy of philosophy and and seeing these concepts as as valuable rather than rejecting but i think it goes back to childhood in terms of kind of what you alluded to is this this argumentative state right versus wrong this way is the one way and if i let go of that then i will somehow be wrong and then my entire self is going to be washed away we attach our identities to the ideas. This is why ideology is so dangerous and so strong and pervasive in our culture. People are attached to ideas for their identity rather than keeping your identity small and playing with all ideas and not labeling yourself a certain ideology or so 
yeah, we learn like I'm thinking about like a, a typical fight or whatever argument between us two siblings, right? And no one wants to give in that, that that they're correct that they're incorrect about a certain topic, and it's like, hold on, let's 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 just see the value in, in each side. Um, and so I think there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear that if people say a certain statement, let's say, you know, something like I value unconditional self-love. There's almost like a fear in any statement like that. Oh, I now need to qualify that by saying, oh, but I'm, I'm, you know, I also believe in <laughs> science. I don't know. I, I'm not sure where I'm going with that particular example, but something like unconditional self-love gets a, a critical eye from the skeptics and, and, in terms of, oh, well, that's, well, if you, uh, you can't just love yourself. That's, um, that's, uh, that's a woo woo. That's, um, well, let's think about another, another way, like unconditional love in relationships. Oh, well, you can't, you can't, you can't unconditionally love another person, maybe yourself, but unconditionally love another person. No. Cause what if they, what if they harm you? There needs to be conditions. Right. So there's an, there's a response to a statement like unconditional love in all relationships. Oh, but yes, but right. We want to have this, but response to things rather than, huh, what do you mean by that? How could that be true? In what situation is that true? In what way do you mean that? Right. So we get in this, this, this part of us comes up that says, no, I must refute that statement. I must refute that statement. Otherwise like the entirety of, I will, I, my entire self will be like absolved by that, the potential connotations of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes absolute sense. It's like we're, it's like the need to be dis- defensive. It's just uh, what I've noticed is it's so challenging. So it's like we're talking about this stuff. Um, it's not easy to like auto just start coming out of coming at things from that perspective of yes and it takes a lot of work. So that's something that I've been thinking about. It's like, all right, how do I approach things from this um, perspective of yes. And, or of uh, seeing the partial truth and everything and not feeling like I need to defend myself whenever a new idea arises. So it's uh, what I've been thinking about is how do we build that muscle? So that it's a muscle. So how do we build that muscle of seeing things from that epistemological lens? Yeah it is a muscle we need to flex. And it's a great example is when you see something pithy on social media, it's easy to say yes, but because it's short. And so there's not context to the statement, right? So uh, like, what's an example? Uh, If you say uh, what you do, there's an example, like what you do, here's a, like maybe a pithy post you might see in social media. Um, what you do while you're procrastinating is what you really need to be doing for, your, for the rest of your life, <clears throat> right? So maybe you're procrastinating by doing some activity that, you, that you, have, you find fun. So the point of this post maybe is go do whatever that you find fun. <clears throat> and it's so easy to say, oh, no, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's... A, that's that, that's not true in this, in this situation, in this situation. Yeah. There's exceptions. Like depends how you define the word procrastination depends how you, I mean, so the question is when you see a pithy post, a pithy aphorism, right? 
Like how you do anything is how you do everything. I love that aphorism. Yeah. So when you see an aphorism like that, what is your, what is your mindset? Are you, are you thinking, how is this true? In what ways is true? When is this true? What if it were true for my life? How would I change? Now you're taking a curious mindset and you're more open and you're more self-interested because you're learning and you're more open to your own personal growth. Because what people do is they don't want to change. Oh, if I integrate this, this information into my life, that means I'm going to need to look inside my own life and, and my own psychology and look at the facts of my life and maybe change if I need to, if I'm really going to integrate this information. So instead I'm going to get this wall up, right? The defensiveness, right? No, I'm going to find the way that this is not true and say, yeah, but yeah, but, and what is that mechanism psychologically? That is this part of us. This is the guard that comes up, the defensiveness that's trying to protect again, the identity and is scared of if I were actually to entertain this idea, that's going to mean I need to feel some uncomfortable feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. now I need to question my entirety of, you know, if I start questioning my own worldview, if I question my own habits, that's uncomfortable. If I question my, my, I mean, I mean, there's so much that can be, be that, that can of worms can of worms will get opened if you have an open mind. Yeah. Right. So there's fear there. Let me just put the guard up and then I don't need to entertain any ideas. And then I don't need to do the uncomfortable work of growth. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was talking with uh, a guy by the name of Eric Brown the other day, it'll be uh, released as a podcast soon. So here he, we talked about that a lot. We're basically like, no one wants to change, right? Because change, like it's basically failing is easy like change, like success is not. And I mean, obviously like people know that, but like on the level of if you're successful, everything in your life changes. So if you're, if you, uh, if you really consider an idea and then change your sense of identity because of that idea, that's, that's painful. You have to change, like change is, it's so painful because you're losing senses of your identity. So what, what, what I was, uh, what was coming up as you were talking about that was uh, the growth versus the fixed mindset. Right. So um, when we have this fixed mindset, it's always like protective and defensive of like, I need to just defend wherever I'm, however I currently view the world. I need to defend this current position. Otherwise, if, if I consider someone else's ideas and I'm wrong and that hurts my identity. Right. And there's these, this really interesting idea of what if we can attach our identity onto thing, onto the process of change itself? Or like, what if we can attach our identity onto this growth minded, um, like always saying yes. And right. So it's, it's, uh, it's possible. I don't, I don't think very many people see that it's possible. And what I started noticing is like, you can, you can, uh, attach your identity or to like less of the surface level stuff and more of the, the like higher order stuff, if that makes sense. Like we can attach our identity onto the, onto things that are, that change less. So like it is possible to attach our identity onto a growth mindset of constant change and see ourselves as something that is constantly changing, not as 
someone that has XYZ ideas and positions and needs to identify with myself in XYZ way, live in XYZ country. I'm it's kind of like I see one of I see the process. Uh let me know what you what your thoughts are on this. I see the process as like it's it's like kind of spiritual in nature where it's we're we're releasing our attachments uh, of these external identities and we're we're putting who we actually are on this background awareness of all those things which is like very spiritual in nature but by doing that it's very practical because we can then take a more growth mindset towards all these ideas and actually embody this um yes and mindset or this uh I will consider every single idea or uh, the uh, quote that you just mentioned. Like I can actually act from this place of. Abundance. Yeah. Abundance and being open-minded and skeptical at the same time. If I attach my ideas onto this, this, this like a awareness of everything that's going on rather than the actual identities and surface level things themselves and the beliefs themselves, you know? 100%. Yeah. Letting go of these, these identities is really freeing in our growth mindset and our curiosity. Something like where you're born, you know, I'm, I'm from Texas. Okay. (laughs) So you identify with this potentially this part of you at least identifies with this particular cultural nuance, right? Their beliefs or habits or tribe, right? The reason it's so hard to grow is because we let go of our relationships oftentimes when others around us are not growing. So we want to stay in our comfort zones. So we get a need for connection that get a need for belonging, get a need for, comfort by staying i'm just gonna do what everyone else does um in terms of the people with whom i grew up right my identity is, is i'm from this state from this country this is how i was raised right yeah. it's a common point well i was raised this way therefore i believe that well that's not very philosophically <laughs> grounded is it no it's uh not appealing to to reason there so but there's a need that's trying to get met for, for the, for those connection needs oftentimes. So that's, I think that's kind of the, the back part of our brain that that's the less evolved, the older part of our brain, that amygdala, that brain stem that just wants the tribe. Uh, it's really fascinating that <clears throat> read this, this past summer, read that book tribe by Sebastian Younger. And really that really, um, validated some of the suspicions that I had about this concept. So it's, it's programmed into our biology and it's much older than the, the front part of our brain, our neocortex. That's the higher consciousness, right? Yeah. So it's really easy to just, well, I'm just going to latch onto my group, this identity, and it feels good. It feels good because that back part of the brain has now that connection and, and support and comfort to be part of a tribe. So the question is, as we evolve, can we have our connection needs met and our honesty needs met and our consciousness needs met and our curiosity and our self-esteem. So letting go of these identities is really in these is a group think basically 
is really freeing in terms of philosophy and, and, and personal growth and that playful growth mindset. But yeah, it can be a challenging process to leave the cocoon like that because especially if your relationships are with a lot of people who aren't embracing growth, then you might need to question those relationships and feel, you might even feel that sense of alienation and loneliness until you can find new people. That was the case in my, my journey so far is just letting go a lot of people of a fair number of people with whom I grew up that were these sort of unintentional relationships that were more on, on circumstance and happenstance and geography rather than, Oh, well, I'm connecting with you based on shared values and consciousness and intentionality. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a difficult to leave that cocoon and, and peel off that bandaid. Right. But then the rewards can be really just amazing when you, when you, when you start uncovering your truest self, the truest self that wants to question, right? We're born curious creatures, but the tribal back part of the brain wants to like squelch this curious mindset in order to stay, in order to stay safe. And if we can learn that we can, we can be safe and get connection needs met and continue to grow and be curious, right? That's, that's where it's, that's where the beauty is where we get that yes. And mindset. I love that. I love that. Just, uh, I I think I can't remember who this quote is by, but there's a quote like I, the process is hurling yourself into the abyss and then realizing it's a feather bed, (laughs) something like that, where it's like, huh? Yeah, it's because it's challenging, but if you do hurl yourself into the abyss of like self-honesty and really like doing this stuff, you realize you can make connections in this space. You can support all your needs, but at the beginning, it because you, like you said, you initially, the first step is going into a more alienation because you have to let go of a lot of stuff. It You can't see, like, it's hard to have enough foresight, you know? I definitely didn't either. I've struggled with this a lot of like, have enough foresight to see, all right, if I let go of this person, if I follow more true, if I'm more honest with myself and it's not like, all right, I'm going to let go of this person. And um, now my life will be better because I'm not aligned with them. It's like, all right, well, like how, what's, how can I take action towards that more aligned, more close to who I actually am part of myself so that I actually do end up making connections in the space or like um, those needs are met. Cause it's not just like everything, happen i'm not really sure i was going with that but it's analogous to 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 something like minimalism right in the the realm of objects and possessions when you learn to let go of things that you might feel sentimental attachment to i mean it's completely analogous to relationships and relationships is is part of the minimalism philosophy but to say wow i'm attached to this object that i've had since i was six and so it's sentimental but is really bring me value right now does it really have purpose in my life or is it just kind of stuck here yeah and then when you can again take off that band-aid and say you know what i'm gonna donate this or, or sell this or discard this and then you have more space in your life this is the beauty of minimalism and letting go of these objects it's a really emotional experience oftentimes um especially with these sentimental these sentimental objects and it's the same with it's the same with friendships, right? For like, oh, I'm I'm gonna keep in touch with this person just because I grew up with them. Well, are you really gaining value and joy? And how is that person potentially blocking you just from time time and energy standpoint 
from an even better existence, which is connecting to somebody else, right? If I'm, if I were right now, I, if I were like feeling this sense of obligation to, to talk to somebody right now, Ethan, instead, instead of you, right? I, I can't, can't have this podcast because I got to go get lunch with this other person. I'm too busy just out of obligation, right? Then I'm missing out on the chance to talk to you, Ethan. I'm feeling yeah. really excited right now, to be honest. And my, my needs for visibility and excitement and growth and connection are getting met and celebration because we're sharing these, we're sharing our, our, our sense of our minds are, are like in sync about so much of these ideas. And so there's so much value I'm getting right now in this conversation that I wouldn't be getting if I hadn't had the courage to say no to something else. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I was going to chime in there too with like talking about sentimental objects we let go, sentimental relationships, and then also like sentimental part of our identities. It's like same, it's all the same, you know, it's, it's, we have had this thing our whole life and we don't want to get rid of it because it feels unknown. But once we actually take the leap of faith, we let go of it. And then, yeah, there's so much more space and courage that arises. I want to dive in with you about what this process of letting go actually looks like and letting go of different parts of our identity of relationships, how we can go through this process and actually trust the process enough and have enough foresight to be able to actually follow through with it, you know, because a lot of times it's like, all right, this is a cool process. I'm going to try it out. Oh, that didn't work for me. I'm going to go back to my old way of being. And so I think it takes a lot of foresight and trust and like visioning of seeing, all right, if I actually follow this process, follow through with it, it's going to lead to a lot more space in my life, a lot better existence, like you said. So um, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on, personally, how you have gone through that process and how you have practiced acceptance and letting go or whatever other process that you found most helpful. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, baby steps has been really helpful for me where you build a little momentum with a little small celebration, a little win and a little taste of that freedom by asserting yourself in a relationship and, or even just saying, you know what, I'm not going to call this person on their birthday because I'm not feeling excited. If I'm being honest with myself, this relationship is based on unconscious momentum or unintentionality or obligation. You know what? I don't have an obligation to anybody. I have the right to exist as Nathaniel Brandon said, and I don't know owe anybody anything and I I'm not on this planet to live up to anyone else's expectations. So I'm going to self, I'm going to respect myself first and say, what do I really want to do? Right. The fourth pillar of self-esteem as outlined by by Nathaniel Brendan is Mm -hmm. self-assertiveness that he defines that simply as saying yes, when you want to say yes and no, when you want to say no. And being honest with what that means to you, do I really want to call this person on their birthday? Okay. If I'm being honest, I'm not feeling excited about that. It's not bringing me joy. It's not sparking joy. I'm doing this to, to maybe avoid some guilt, right? If I'm being honest with that, then I, I kind of untangle all that stuff. And then you say, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm going to, maybe I'm going to give this at least for temporarily, maybe just experiment. 
I'm going to give some space to this relationship and not call them in this obligatory way. And then you realize, huh, now I have some more time in my day because I'm not putting two hours into this phone call. And I'm not feeling the sense of drain, like draining feeling of having talked to somebody I don't really want to talk to. Oh, now I have more energy. Okay, how can I put that towards something else, right? And you figure out what makes you really excited and happy and you create that space, right? Um, you know, when you, minimalism is really about maximalism. Because the more space you have, the more you can bring in joy and meaning and purpose and excitement. Everything that brings you at that, that highest level of aliveness. So yeah, but just in terms of letting go, I mean, it's, it takes those small, small wins and to see, okay, it wasn't that bad. You know, uh, I let go of this sweatshirt. Um, I thought I liked it, but I don't really wear it. And it's just kind of like nagging me in my closet. So I'm going to, I'm going to put this, I'm going to bring this to goodwill or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I, I realized I don't miss it. That was a big, big thing with minimalism for me is virtually never have I missed something that I let go of. Now there's been sometimes a grieving, grieving process. Wow. I've had this for years and all oh, this, this person gave me this gift and I'm not going to let go of this. That's really like hard to, to do that because it's emotional attachment. And then you realize, you know what? If I feel better, I feel like lighter. I feel freer. It wasn't too bad to take that bandaid off. Okay. I can probably do the next one. Yeah. Right. Yes. And some people listening might think, Oh, but if they're not familiar with minimalism, maybe it's like, is this, is this really about, uh, is, is, um, objects and letting go of a sweatshirt really align with the becoming conscious podcast? It's like, <laughs> heck yes, man. Yeah. <laughs> this is all symbolic. And again, it relates to relationships. And so getting, at, getting at those small victories and, and realizing it wasn't too bad. Right. Or, or just having, or in another, another realm, just having the courage to say what you're feeling. Like, hey, I'm feeling scared right now, feeling apprehensive, and say that to somebody. Um, or I'm, I'm feeling unsettled about, I'm feeling nervous. Uh, I'm questioning a relationship or I'm you're just saying something that's honest for you, that can be vulnerable. And then you realize, oh, on the other side of that vulnerability is connection is like relief and freedom because I had the courage to say the truth. And if the more you say your truth, the more free your life is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I absolutely love talking about minimalism. That's actually like, that's where I started. That's like, if I like try to like take this path all the way back to one thing, it was, uh, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan oh, Demis. I love those guys. Yeah, I absolutely love them. I actually want to go meet them in person. I was like, this is the best thing ever. You guys are the best, you know. And their Where, their books. Oh, you did meet them? Yeah, yeah. Nice. When they were back in uh, Omaha, my hometown. Um, yeah, they're. But yeah, they have something fundamental that they're talking about. Um, and it's like w- what we're getting at. Like I find I found now different ways that of different things that I'm focusing on, but it's still that core thing of let go of the things that don't serve you be intentional and go with a laser focus towards be as intentional as possible in the, towards the life you want to live, the relationships, the desires, what you're working on, where you're living. Like it's, 
what you just kind of enlightened me on is minimalism is in letting in the process of letting go. So like I've been getting into like letting go of a lot of emotional stuff. It's the same process, right? It's, it's uh, having the courage to face uncomfortable stuff in order to be more intentional with how we live our lives, you know? And uh, I love that you brought that up and how might, this process of minimalism apply to emotions. Like I know you've done a lot of stuff with uh, different um, like internal family systems and different types of therapy, maybe shadow work, maybe like the process of letting go and not having resistance to what is Um, I'll bring, I'll bring a couple, like maybe one, one of my thoughts recently that I've been diving into and I'd love to hear you like elaborate on it and go deeper into it. And that like letting go the process of being more intentional and letting go of this stuff is realizing that, it's okay. It's realizing that when we're feeling this very uncomfortable emotion, it like we, a big thing for me is realizing I don't need to always be in a state of happiness and feel good, like in feeling good, like to feel that I all to think that I always need to feel good and like whatever state of peace or like whatever state you're trying to get at to think that you always need to be in that space causes a lot of resistance when you aren't in that space, you know? So uh, for me, it's been like, all right, a sadness is arising. Just um, it's okay. Just let's feel into it. What is this trying to tell me? And just taking that attitude towards it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, that's powerful to practice that sense of emotional honesty and consciousness and acceptance of the facts. Right. And we all want to feel good, right? Right. What does that mean though? Like we want to feel content. We want to feel glad. We want to feel excited, connected. We want to get our need for peace met. We want to feel calm. So when certain needs aren't getting met, then certain physiological sensations arise. And it's not so enjoyable. And it's so hard to to go through, the, go through that process of accepting that fact. But when you can, that's, that's the starting point to move through it and to assuage that feeling. So, but it's one of the things I struggle with is, is uh, accepting the negative experiences. Mark Manson, who wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, he... Uh, he said accepting accepting a negative experience. Well, I guess he said it like this. Pursuing a positive experience is a negative experience. Accepting a negative experience is a positive experience. It's awesome. I love that. <laughs> it's so profound. But I struggle to do it, to 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 do it, to, to apply it. Because of these parts of me that just continue to want to improve right? Pursuing a better life, pursuing that feeling good in every way, all the time. And those parts of me have brought me so much fruit, right? Because I've had the courage to jump into the abyss, right? To pursue something greater. And then I get to enjoy those, the fruits of those, of that labor. But it's the paradox because if you're continually pursuing something better than you going to be continually experiencing the negative because you're not in that place yet. 
versus accepting the negative is actually really, ah, I feel relieved because like it is what I, I accepted the fact that, you know, I didn't wake up early enough. So like I didn't, I woke up at 7am instead of 6am. Like I, I wanted to, right. Yeah. And then you're frustrated in the morning or I didn't get enough work done. Like according to this, this one voice in our heads. Like, so I'm frustrated and I'm disappointed because I didn't, all right, can I accept the fact that this part of me is feeling this or the, just the fact that this didn't go as planned. And that's the second pillar of self-esteem from Brandon is self-acceptance. And oftentimes that term gets incorrectly defined as just being uh, not pursuing ever pursuing anything mm-hmm. better and just you're resigning yourself to realities that you don't like. That's not, that's not how he defines it. It's, it's simply this. I'm going to be honest with the facts of reality and accepting where I am is the first place to get to the, is the first step to getting to that next destination you can't leave a place you've never been you need to be honest that this is where i am but yeah something like sadness and experiencing that allowing it to come up and crying when you need to cry is so underrated unfortunately in our culture yeah we're like it's programmed into us that there's some shame in crying like it's still in me like even just now making that statement there's this part of me that's like oh no don't don't say that joel that's like, that's really embarrassing. That's not like crying is not that there's like this, like shame that's still programmed into me in some, to some degree about ad, like uh, admitting that I cry. Yeah. Right. Cause we're told Absolutely. from, we're, from we're, before we're even a year old, we're saying, our parents say, don't cry. It's okay. Don't cry when we're crying. <laughs> It's yeah. like, no, 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 no. <laughs> cry. cry, baby. It's, it's let it out. Allergy to release these feelings and to indicate to ourselves what's happening, what needs that are not getting met. And we want to be in congruence with our emotional landscape, right? That's why that movie Inside Out, that Disney Pixar movie Inside Out, have you seen that? Yep. yep. So powerful, right? And you, you just feel the sadness. You're now you actually feel like an endorphin release afterwards. It's, it's a good feeling when you, when you, when you're honest with what you're actually feeling. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally hear you there. And it's like, what was coming up is, as you said, like, I feel some shame in talking about crying. It's like, it's got to go back to the, what we talked about earlier, like the tribal drive. It's like my whole tribe tells me that crying is bad. I just realized that crying is a very transformative and healing process for myself, but I still have this tribal like voice in my head or this uh, like feeling like I need to, if I go away from the group and say that crying is good, then it's like, yeah, Oh, I'm pushing against everything that I've been told in my, my group, everything. Yeah. And absolutely any type of emotional release, like crying probably being the most like the one that comes to mind most easily, but 
literally any type of emotional release is absolutely amazing. Like I, I feel that a lot too. So like, I'll just feel like an emotional release wanting to come up. Right. And then like, it won't come up because I'm like, this isn't like, there's so much shame and guilt around it. Like, Oh, it's people think, well, I'm super weird if they're going to hear me crying or if like, I'll be a fear of being judged if I am like, because I like live with some roommates. So it's like, oh, I can't like just let it all out because then they're going to hear it all. You know, it's just like there's so much shame and guilt around it as a culture, which is which is very sad because you probably felt the same thing. But yeah, you said like endorphins come after you cry. Some of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had in my life have been after crying. Like I feel like I always talk about like in, online, just like accessing that state of awe of curiosity of deep like self-love and like that's i've talked about how when i'm in that state is when i feel like i have the most answers it's like when i feel like i understand the most about life is when i'm in that state of deep awe and like wordless like like there's no words to describe it i access that state most easily after crying or through crying you know and it's like by not crying we're like covering up and like blocking ourselves from a lot of these the fruits of life (laughs) is the best way i can put it 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 goes back to this process of reparenting ourselves right because like i said the common parenting strategy which perhaps is well intended is when the, the child is crying to say oh no you're fine don't cry don't cry it's okay i'm here don't cry and it's coming from a place potentially of like soothing intention. Um, But it's also, I think, an insecurity from the parents' part about seeing the child cry because they haven't processed their own childhood experiences when they were told that. This is why this this is the real work, I like to say. The real work is processing these things and reparenting our, our child self within us, our inner child, you know, so saying it is okay to cry. And I, I love you unconditionally, like talking to yourself like that, talking to the, the child within who wants to, to express these emotions. And it can be helpful to see that as a separate part of yourself, right? That's the internal family systems therapy modality, which I cannot recommend highly enough to see that, that when you're crying, there's no need to have shame because it's not you. What is shame? It's think, shame is you aren't enough. You are wrong. You are bad as a human. And one way to, to like an antidote to that is to say, when you're crying, it's not you. It's a part of you who's feeling upset and sad. Yeah. And when you can observe that part from this capital S self, then you see, that's what we talk about when people say, people say your relationship to yourself. What does that mean? There's only one self, isn't there? <laughs> no, no, no. To capitalist self, your highest, wisest, true self. Watching the parts of yourself and communicating. So when I cry now, I'm fairly able at this point to get into that place of observation wow, I'm crying right now. This, this needs to, this needs to come out. And, and I, I, I try to tell myself, like, I love you unconditionally. I love you. You, it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. Yeah. And that's simply the, the act of reparenting. 
right? That's likely what our parents didn't tell us because their parents didn't tell them that. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's huge too. It's like, there's, it's easy to just, oh, my parents taught me this way. Why did they do that? Like putting blame on someone else. It's like they were just acting in their own, like they, they were acting out of the unconsciousness of not knowing not having worked through this themselves and their parents are probably acting the same way. There's, you can't like blame, there's no blame. It's just like, this is what's in me right now. Let's work through it. Let's focus on it. There, it's, I, I don't think it's valuable to put blame whatsoever on anyone else for why we, I mean, obviously you take self-responsibility. That's a, yeah, it's a huge one, but like, yeah. And, uh, you talked about started talking about a little bit about IFS and I haven't got into that specific domain, but I t- sort of, uh, was talking to a mutual friend of ours and it sounded very similar to a very, another domain called like shadow work. So shadow work and IFS sound very similar, at least the type of shadow work that I was doing. So there's this method by Ken Wilber called the three, two, one method. And it sounded very similar to the IFS process, which is the three, two, one method is, Something's arising, sadness, grief, whatever. You put that in the third person. You're like, all right, what is this feeling in my chest? What is it like? What is happening? Um, like, all right, this is sadness. I feel this in this part of my body. All right, that's what it is. All right, that's third person. Most people like repress or they uh, don't have, like they're not facing these emotions because they're always in the third person. It's like, that's not me. This cry, this sadness is not me. It's something else. I don't want to face it whatever so you like feel this in the third person so all right this like sadness then you bring it into the second person you're like all right let me talk to it now uh sad ethan you whatever you want to call it so it's like all right sad ethan why are you feeling sad and the cool thing is when you do that it's like that that part of yourself has a lot to say it's like oh i feel sad because and then you, you can like journal whatever you can just let it all out there's a lot of reasons that you feel sad so it's like talking to that from the like the capital um s self talking to that sad part of yourself all right sad part of myself why are you feeling this way all right then you talk to it for a while and then you bring it into the third first person and you're like eventually i am sad i'm going like and then you bring that dialogue with the other part of yourself into the first person and then you feel it fully and then by feeling it fully eventually that's how we actually let it go and so like that whole process is like a letting go process but we can't let it go if it's if we're pushing it out of our psyche and like into the third person perspective of like, that is a sadness. That's not me. Who I am is not a sad person. And it's like by reintegrating it back and talking and dialoguing with it is a lot of, it's a great process through how we can let go and go through this healing process. So I'd love to hear some of your, uh, Oh man. Like I love that so much. The three, two, one. Yeah. That, comp- that totally complements IFS and, and I'm not as versed in the Jungian shadow concept, but it's totally overlaps and overlaps with Brandon's concept of the child self. And again, all these, all these angles are speaking the same truth in different vernacular, but it's really helpful to have different ways to say things and different, different uh, colors, different lenses to see the same dynamics so, I mean, and it relates perfectly to that movie Inside Out. And anyone who hasn't seen that, I highly recommend it. And that's, that's a great um, reference point for the internal family systems model 
where there's these five characters inside. So for those of you who hasn't, anyone listening who hasn't seen it, it's it's 11 year old girl is the main character in this Pixar movie. But within inside of her head are five more characters and their joy, sadness, disgust, fear, and what's the other one? Grumpy? I don't know. But uh, maybe anger, joy, sadness, disgust, fear, and anger. Yeah. Joy, sadness, disgust, fear, anger. Yeah. I think those are the five. Nice. So that's just five characters, but some people would say there's more than that. Um, Absolutely. Definitely. I think there are more, more, more subpersonalities. But what happens is, what that happens is when she finally cries at the end and sadness finally experiences, I guess I'm spoiling the movie, but <laughs> it's still, met, it's just so meta- metaphorically powerful. Like she finally, f- the, the girl, the 11 year old girl, Riley finally lets finally cries at the end. And it's the way that that's portrayed inside her head from these five characters is the sadness character, like, touches there's like this headquarters in her mind and they have like these different controls and like joysticks and things buttons to push and yeah um and like she i think she kind of like sadness finally like puts this particular memory into this particular slot on this headquarters and that allows the feeling to actually be felt right so there's this sort of synergy of kind of what you alluded to with integration, right? Three, two, one, you finally have the, the last step is that part of you integrates with you. And now you are experiencing that sadness as one with that part. And that is the process of healing. That is the process of integration. And it's, wow, that's, man, it's the real work. Like that's, it almost gets me choked up, man, because yeah. <laughs> that, that can, that's the way we, we have world peace in this planet right there is, is individuals one by one having the courage to do that work and healing these parts that are fragmented from our true self, from our highest self. The process of integration and healing is what we need to disrupt the cycle of violence so that when we do parent our children, the next generation, we do so in a healing way. And we, we begin to make a dent in this cycle of trauma. That is the, the root of violence on the planet. The reason that we have wars on this planet is because people are reenacting their childhood traumas and they're not integrated with the fragmented unhealed parts, right? Like yeah. this is the real work. And people think that, we need to solve these things through political means. And it's like the, the way we solve these world problems is through your own zone of control. Yeah, yeah. And you have so much power to work within your internal landscape and just have a little bit of courage to hug those cacti, right? To be honest with yourself and then embrace the feelings in the psychological landscape and integrate. And you integrate that shadow, you integrate that child self integrate these unprocessed wounds and you become more whole, right? <laughs> you become more whole you become more compassionate, you become more available, more curious. And that's how we get, on a, that's how we get on a positive feedback loop as a, as a culture, as a, as a species. Yeah. 
No, I resonate with that so much. That is having that realization of like, oh crap, when I heal myself, I act in a more loving way. Therefore, the reason that I, I want to talk to you about projection. So there, I've talked to many different people and it sounds like there's this, the more I read about projection, it sounds like what I'm learning is that 99.9% of what you see, anger, all of the external negative stuff going on in the world, 99.9% I'm starting to believe is all projection of inner smallness and of inner trauma and of all these different parts we haven't integrated. So it's like when I see – I was talking to you about earlier about how like a lot of the ways that we're trying to solve the core problems of humanity, I'm starting to see a very surface level. And I'm like, I didn't have a good way to explain it earlier, but I think that's what it is, is by trying to focus on all these external ways of solving these problems. We're not even getting close to the root because the root of the problem is that we're all projecting our own inner shit onto the world. And we're trying to solve all that, that stuff we're projecting without solving the core emotional distress that's causing it. Yeah. And it, and it can be disappointing that most people aren't thinking that way. Yeah. And that, that right there is another, another opportunity to heal a projection. I'm realizing (laughs) I, I have, I do have this part of me that feels frustrated and disappointed because the vast majority of our culture is not aware of this is not aware that we need to quit hacking at the branches and we need to turn inward, which is within the control of every single human on this planet is the capacity to engage your volition and do the inner work. And at this point I'm realizing how the number of people who realize this is maybe maybe in double digits like literally in the entire planet i mean i don't i don't know if it's in the triple digits like the number of people who really understand that world peace i mean maybe maybe i don't know but in terms of in- integrating a philosophy of inner inner healing that that um scales up to a voluntarist society free of coercion free of governments um that's that's where that's where it's at yeah yeah but there's a the projection there too where it's part of me is frustrated that these other people they don't know these things oh that's that's an opportunity for me to heal that's that's what i'm realizing these past these past few months like when i feel irritated oh that person's overweight uh, they, they need to, like i'm i'm frustrated because i put so much effort into taking care of my body and they just like they don't care and like I'm like, okay, what's going on there? Like this part of me really wants some appreciation. This part of me wants some visibility. And okay, so like every time we have these triggers, right? About anything in the external world. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the external world is contributing to that. It's not just, again, just, it's not just your internal <laughs> triggers that's, that's going on there, but that's a great starting point is to say, why, why am I feeling this in response to the external world? Yeah, yeah. And 
I like what you said at the end there is it's not just the internal stuff. And I, for a second, I'm like, yeah, it is like what? But I think that made me think of like the internal stuff is like the root of the problem, but the external stuff, it's also like a, it's like a feedback loop, right? So it's like the external stuff is also causing a lot more people to experience more trauma because, so it's, I don't know, it's like a circle. Chicken and uh, the egg. It's both. Yeah. 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 And it, it goes both ways. And, um, uh, Something that I wanted to talk about was because I've been experiencing this a lot lately, exactly what you just said, feeling like everyone needs to understand this stuff or feeling like irritated because it's like, I want you to understand that your internal pro, all these things are projections. I want to help you get at the root of the problem because I see you striking at the branches. And that's also a, uh, I'm starting to realize the stance of like pride. There's a lot of pride there of like, I understand this, the root of the problem and you don't, I want you to understand it. So I've had to like, let go a lot of that pride and it's been very challenging. I'm still not even close to letting go of all of it. I still have like a lot of pride around this type of stuff. And, but I'm starting to like witness it and I'm be like, Oh, that's pride. When you're speaking in that way, that's pride. And so what I've been thinking about is how do we not act from this place of like pride or, uh, whatever irritation of like people need to understand this stuff right now type of stuff. But how do we actually create change in other people that may help them discover what we're talking about for themselves? Because ultimately they're never going to understand it. If you just try to make them understand it, ultimately they have to discover it themselves. Right. So how do we put them on a path of discovering it themselves? And the, the closest thing I've got to that is, like unconditional empathy and like love for the other person. It's like when I can love the person exactly as they are, where they're at, that, that is like a healing process in and of itself, because it's like, you're holding it. I was talking about this with uh, Eric Brown again, the other day on the podcast was like the way to do like, at least the way that I'm approaching it currently, maybe this will change in the future, but it's like holding as much space as possible when you're speaking to someone that doesn't understand this stuff is the, and then is like a great way to like help initiate the healing process within them and to like love them fully and accepting them fully as they are not saying you need to understand this. And until you understand this, there's like a underlying sense of not loving them as much. Like obviously you're telling yourself you do, but like there's this underlying sense of, I will only love you deeply if you, like believe what I believe it's like the all in what we were talking about earlier too. So I'm wondering what your approach is um, around that, around uh, enacting change in other people, but not doing it forcefully and from a prideful position. Yeah. That's an area that has been not a strong point for me in terms of persuasion in a conversation with someone who's not, on this path and my default strategy has been to not engage with people and to simply live my life and connect with people who are on that path and go where I'm celebrated, not where I'm tolerated kind of thing. But, uh, I mean, I love what you're saying about empathy for every human, no matter where they're at. And I'm starting to move towards this territory more of just compassion 
for all humans, even the ones who are doing all of the destruction, hey, all the coercion, the violence in the world. Okay, what's going on for them? Because once upon a time, that person was a newborn baby. What happened since then? Yeah. You know, can we have compassion for the child self? It's and, and all humans. And so it, it's something that I continue to grow. I think I've had, a, I've had fortune of a couple of psychedelic experiences for the first time this year. And that's been enormous and opening up like that, that world of compassion to, to, and clarity of, to see that everyone's trying to get the same needs met, even if they're failing to do that. But every action is in pursuit of a human need. And if you can get into that space and not project your frustrations onto them. That's the other thing. Like when I'm frustrated that someone else doesn't believe something or they're not, again, it just goes back to, I, I need to heal this part of myself. So I'm realizing I just need to keep on doing the self works, continue to look inside. And the more I do that, the greater impact I'll have on other people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's this quote by Ram Das the best thing I can do for you is to work on myself type of thing. And originally it sounded egotistical to me. And then eventually I'm like, the best thing I can do for other people is to work on myself, not in like a sense of trying to be as successful as possible, but work on myself as in like heal all the unhealed stuff that if I were to talk, like that's the best thing that sometimes you can do for other people is just, yeah, focus on yourself. And that's, that's selfish. You see, Ethan, that's selfish. <laughs> so that's that's what's that's what's unfortunate about the cultural mores is that working on yourself is seen as not thinking about other people. Yep, yep. And so again, it goes back to all or nothing thinking. What we need is yes and both combined. Not selfish, not self-sacrificial, but actually both. Self-interest at the highest state is incorporating in the interests of other people mm-hmm. self-fullness so marshall rosenberg who created nonviolent communication called it and since like selfishness is just thinking about your own needs selflessness is thinking only about other people's needs and self-fullness is incorporating the needs of everybody and but it's like i love it's that. sort of like a play on words because like the most selfish thing you can do is also incorporate people's other people's needs. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, but it's hard because a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate that. They don't appreciate that. Like, Oh, you, you're just, you just, you just, you're just in your self-improvement land, Joel. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm over here trying to help people. I'm over here trying to like really help poor people. And you're just like working on, working on yourself. like, I, I, <laughs> It got, it got cut off when I was in the middle of something. Yeah. So, um, there was now. Oh. Yeah. So people often might be working in like a nonprofit or politics and they're trying to help poor people or something. And they're not really working on the self-development stuff. They're just like working their tails off to try to like, maybe do, do work that has an impact, like, you know, help, free people who've been wrongly convicted of a crime. Okay. Now you're changing the world. And that's like looked at as this selfless act to, to help people. 
And that's oftentimes legitimate in terms of, I mean, I, I wouldn't call it selfless. I think it's a really rewarding thing to do. And it's a generous thing that's, that's also self enriching. Um, so that's, that's an element of self-improvement, but anything you're doing for self-improvement or just self-development or healing and inner work, filling up your own bucket is by extension, helping other people. Cause if you don't fill up your own bucket, you have nothing to give other people. You know, it's just that old adage of oxygen mask, put your own oxygen mask on first. And the question is, do we actually apply that old adage? Do we actually say, I, I care about, I care about world peace so much that I'm going to spend three hours by myself just taking care of myself, right? Because when you fill up that own bucket, you, you can you can really have so much to give, and that's what I'm finding, and that's my that's that's what I'm realizing that I need to continue to do. Is just the more I can continue to, to prioritize my own empowerment, the more I can be available to other people, whether that's physical health, psychological health, financial health, right? Eliminating toxic situations, just feeling more free. Be so free that you can be, be available time-wise, psychologically-wise, financially-wise to give to other people and to, be, to feel a sense of groundedness in your own skin so that you can provide compassion to other people. Absolutely, absolutely. It's and also contribution to the world. It's like we couldn't be having this conversation if we both didn't work on ourselves. People are going to find value out of this conversation, right? And it would never have they would would never have existed if we didn't both work on ourselves quite a bit before this episode, right? So it's like what the value that you're putting out into the world and your contribution to the world is directly correlated with how much you focus on yourself, right? How much you heal all these parts of yourself. And I think a way that going a little bit deeper is like when we heal ourselves, we, we love ourselves. And that also lets us, that allows us the space to love other people. And like we were talking about earlier, loving, it allows us the space to love anyone, no matter where they're at and to meet everyone where they're at and not to think that they should be a certain way. So I was reading this book, uh, Letting Go by David Hawkins recently, and he, he touches on this, that like, well, pe- people go like, people use ex- example and tend to go like the farthest that you can go, like love Adolf, even love Adolf Hitler's type of stuff. But it has a more sort of truth in it in that you can see the innocence in every single person. If you do enough work on yourself and if you love yourself to a large enough extent, you can see the innocence in every single person that you're talking to. So when someone is uh, like arguing, wants to argue with you or they're mad at you or they're, they're like projecting all their stuff on you, you can get to a point where you're self-developed enough. What I'm learning is that you can see Oh, you can become, once you start seeing it in yourself, you can see it in other people in a positive way in that, oh, they have a lot of shit going on in their, uh, in their life that it's making them, there's got a lot of stuff that they're struggling with internally. That's making them project this onto me. 
I can see that happening and I can love that because I know that they're, they're innocent by nature and they're struggling with this stuff and it's causing them to maybe be angry at me or something like that, or act in a certain way. So you, once you take this to its fullest extent, you can be as selfless as possible because you can love every single person, even if they're like mad, like super mad at you or like, even no matter where they are, you can, you can love them. And that's, I think that's a great like manifestation of what we were just talking about. Yeah. Maybe, and then maybe a substitute word for selfless there is just generous because it, because it implies that there's still that value that you're getting by giving. And that's that win-win scenario that we want. Um, so it's not, it's not at all self-sacrificial to be, to have that level of compassion and, and space for somebody else. It's giving and it's, it's nurturing for that person and you're nourishing your own needs to consider other people, your own needs to contribute and your own needs for meaning. And so we can, again, let go of this false dichotomies, these all or nothing thinkings, these either or thinkings of, of selfless for self, selfless for selfishness. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it all goes back to the, the Tao, the Tao. It's like the yin and yang. It's uh by being selfish in a certain regard, I am also giving space so that I can be more selfless in more loving ways. And it all goes back to balance. I think that's a um, one of the key points I got here is like even like intellectual balance. I can balance multiple different perspectives and not take any single one as true. But but I wanted to I wanted to say you mentioned Adolf Hitler, and I think it's really valuable to go all the way there i think so too and there's a a wonderful book called for your own good by alice miller and the subtitle is um cruelty in child rearing and the roots of violence hidden cruelty it's something like hidden cruelty in child rearing and the roots of violence so she gets into this parenting realm and and understanding and connecting that the, the parenting practices, conventional pedagogy, she, she calls it poisonous pedagogy. And she dissects some of the history there. Um, going back to like early night, early 20th century, a lot of the more authoritarian parenting practices and um, you know, never soothe the crying child in the crib and always, you know, all, all the, the corporal punishment and, and the culture has evolved from that, to some degree and, and lightening up a bit with the corporal punishment. Um, but she gets to the roots of that. And a lot of that stuff's just still ever present in terms of the punishment, the punishment paradigm in general in our culture. And so she connects it to the reason we have violence. And she, and she, and then she has an entire section of the book about Hitler's childhood, the research on his childhood, which no one talks about. Yeah, and then ever since I, I mean I read that book ten years ago, and I'm always just like, anytime someone brings that up, that name up Adolf Hitler, I, I go right back to my memory of reading that section of that book, <laughs> and, and the scenes that were generated for my mind about the sense of alienation he experienced, and the sense of ruthless beatings 
he experienced as a child. And you realize that that was an innocent, powerless child. And never would I shoot and kill Adolf Hitler if I had the chance. I would provide unconditional empathy and I would bring in every possible empathetic therapist that I would, that to, to <laughs> nourish this, 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 this soul that's been yeah. disconnected from his child self that was tragically, tragically violated and, and understand that that is the, the tragic nature of the cycle of violence. And that is why my grandparents went through Auschwitz. That is why 6 million Jews were destroyed is because it was projection at the highest degree mm -hmm. of unprocessed trauma. And if we can get into that space, then we're really making progress as a culture. Because even the people, and this is a taboo topic. I talked about on my podcast, like this, this empathy for the aggressor. Like, the, yeah. like there's so much still, even the, for the people who are having the courage to call out the, the, the acts of violence in our culture for what they are. But then even then, many, many people are saying, oh, just throw them in a cage, throw them in jail. It's like, we need a restore, restorative empathetic rehabilitation. That's what we need. All these individuals and in government who are creating atrocities and course and the war and drugs and wars. And I mean, these are just individual humans who put their pants on in the morning, like you and me, where do they, where do the psychological dynamics come from that they would want to hurt other people, that they would want to lock people in cages, that, that they would want to threaten people. Where does that come from? Well, cause they were threatened when, when they were in children. And this is the this is the morning we need to recognize. M O U R N I N G morning, right? That this is the cycle of trauma, the cycle of violence that every single human has the capacity to interrupt, and we can evolve. And that's that's where the, the juice is again. Like over, and you mentioned earlier, like the work, the self work we've done is enabling this conversation, and like those the power of that ripple effect, like. Man, you work on yourself and then you parent your, your children. If you have, if you have kids, you parent yeah. your kids better. Yeah. Peacefully parenting and, and avoiding the punishment paradigm and not projecting your stuff onto them. Even if you just make a dent in that, like you're not going to be perfect, but you make a dent in that. And then that child grows up with less trauma, less adversity to overcome themselves. And then they raise their children to be even healthier. And there's this like continually, we're making a, um, progress on on a withering away in our culture, this continued feedback loop of these neurological experiences of, of projection of adverse childhood experiences. And that's how we actually can build a higher consciousness in our culture that actually is a world of compassion and win-win and peace and love and harmony. And it's like, this is not just some John Lennon song. This is something that's literally tangible that every single human listening to this can do right today by spending 10 minutes in meditation and connecting to the child within you. You just made a little bit of a dent and you do that every single, you do that every single week, even like just do 20 minutes of meditation a week. That's what I do. Like Saturday mornings, 20 minutes of meditation. And I go into my psyche and I, I, I let myself cry and then revisit childhood experiences. And that compounds over time. And then you do that with like other journaling exercises and you just keep on investing in yourself and then you can move the, the species forward. So I know I've gone on a lot, a lot right there, but <laughs> no, that's, it's so powerful. And it's, 
we were talking about Hitler and like when I was talking about it, it's so taboo that I was like kind of trying to position it in the most light way possible. But no, the way you explained it is spot on. Like when we can love every human being, even the aggressor, when we can love the aggressor, we can then love any human being like ever. It's like, it's, uh, it's such a radical viewpoint to, to many, but at the same time, it's like, it's not, it's just realizing that everyone is innocent at their core and they're doing this because of some trauma that they had growing up. Like that that makes sense. Like it's not that out of that's practical. Like there's nothing too wild that we're saying here. It's just realizing that everyone acts out of trauma and there. And once you realize that you can then show the same amount of love for the aggressor as friend like that's how we get world peace and like you said too the compounding effect of this type of stuff it's uh a lot of the things that things that i struggled with and i still do is like seeing not seeing our work as valuable so it's like oh like i'm just doing this it's not going to have an effect on the seven billion people in the world and shifting that mindset from that to I'm literally reshaping the structure of the global psych psychology or like the psyche, the global psyche, whatever you want to call it. I'm reshaping. Once we start viewing it in that lens, it's so powerful because it's like, all right, if I spend an hour healing some part of myself, I'm going to spend the rest of my life. I'm not going to be, um, projecting my trauma onto others because of that one thing that I just healed. I just healed a lifelong amount of projection that would have happened if I didn't heal that certain part of myself, you know, and it's, it's, uh, and I'm also, if I'm healing, if I heal this part of myself, I'm also able to hold space for more compassionate, um, more compassion for myself, which also means more compassion for others. So when I'm healing these parts of myself, I'm literally reshaping the global consciousness around like unhealed trauma. And I'm literally healing global trauma in a sense, if you think about it that way, because I am literally for the rest of my life from that specific thing that I healed, whenever that comes up for the rest of my life, I will be acting from a place of compassion rather than projection. That is powerful to view it that way rather than, Oh, I'm just improving myself. Like I'm not going to have that much impact on others. Oh yeah. Improving myself a little bit. Yeah. And you're not impacting the world at once. The entire 7 billion people is not getting your message right now. Exactly. But you're operating within your zone of zone of control and that will compound. And like, yeah, healing, healing those parts. There's so much power. Even just I've found in, how you your countenance in the world even if you're not speaking to anybody but you're like you 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 interact with a stranger and you're like comfortable in your own skin because of all the compassion work you've done and you can you can genuinely be curious and open and present and listening to somebody and maybe all they they're maybe they just need someone to hear them out and you have the space to hear them out because you have a a balance and man how, how much can that impact that person's day and that person's life and you do that consistently i think we underestimate the those butterfly effects yeah and i was about to say underestimate that. our own power to generate those 
so like, yeah, I mean, like the, again, the, the, the parenting stuff, like that's what, like, I don't have a kid yet, but I want to in the coming decade or so. And man, I've already laid myself a foundation doing the last 10 years of work. And if I keep doing it, I'll be in such a, a, a great place when I do have that child. And I'll still have stuff to work on most likely because there's a lot, but um, man, how much, how much can I really be available to, to create a nourishing relationship with that child and then be a model, right? Like be a model, be the change you wish to see in the world. Like I, I believe that world peace starts with self. So I, I live it. I believe world peace starts with peaceful parenting and not in non compulsory education. Like, um, just live out what you believe can be the, this change. And man, there's so much power in that. So much, so much. And you, I was just about to bring it up and then you said it, the butterfly effect. And it's, it's very easier, easy to think linear, linearly, like, oh, I'm only some X, Y, Z, like th- this number of people are listening to my podcast, therefore they're being affected and then no one else is being affected or something like that. And it's like, it's a butterfly effect. Like, I don't know what the second order effects of my actions are. And I will never know. Like, I, I can't understand what the second order effects of my actions are, but I can trust that by acting from a more compassionate, by like you said, like someone, maybe someone just needs to be heard. They just, they just have never been heard. They need to be heard. If I can build up enough compassion in myself to hold the space for someone, that's also going to heal them in certain aspects of their life. And then they're also going to act in ways that are more healed and less traumatic. And then that's going to heal someone else. And then someone else is going to act in a more compassionate way. So it's just like a ripple effect. And I, I don't know what that ripple is and I, you don't need to know. I just need to trust that that, that that is happening. That process is happening as I heal myself and as I work on myself. And that's why this work is so powerful. And it's hard to remember all that because we see the world closing in on us oftentimes, um, especially this year. And we, 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 it doesn't seem like we have much personal agency to, to, to make a dent. And it seems like the river is going in a certain current and by asserting ourselves as in this personal empowerment mindset, we're, we're not, we're, we're trying to paddle upstream against that current. But think about how much we could be holding beacons of light for other people. And that could catch on. Like the people, the few people who are really thinking about this, what if none of us existed? What if no one was doing this stuff? I don't know. We're, we're like, we're like, in a sense, we're like this. I think anyone who's doing healing work, trying to create world peace like this, it's like we're the hope for humanity, <laughs> you know, cause it's the, we're not going to create world peace without doing this inner work. We're not, I mean, we can, there's, there's different elements of this, of this culture that, that can change the world, you know, um, something like potentially cryptocurrency can, can change the economics and the freedom that, that people have and lack of and independence from, from these centralized systems. But that's not a guarantee even. And yeah, we're, we're, even no matter what's happening in, we, we're not going to have a peaceful world free of coercion unless we have inner peace, unless we have tangible 
inner compassion for self. And then we, by extension, offer that to other people. So let's, let's like anyone who's interested in this world, like in this realm, like let's, let's take ownership and feel, feel, um, feel that sense of empowerment and, and have a conviction about like, no, like this is a really meaningful pursuit to have the conviction to not get sucked into the culture, but to say, I'm going to turn inward. I'm going to dedicate time and attention towards towards inner work to, to not get sucked into the political or get sucked into social media or just focusing on my own zone yeah yeah it's it's a it's such a paradigm shift like it's cut such a 180 turn of thinking about it this way and some people i've talked to they get into this work once they realize subtly that technology isn't going to solve humanity's problems. So like I've talked to a couple of people and it's like, like I, I got an X sector because I wanted to create a huge amount of change. I wanted to create the newest tech that was going to solve some of the world's problems. And then I realized that without the interchange, this tech isn't going to do jack squat. Right. And it's like, once you realize that, this this is what I a couple a couple of thoughts arose last Friday or like things that I've been thinking about is like you have all these there's something I like to think about you have all these like sci-fi novels right and it's like this is science fiction this is what the world is going to look like in 200 years and it's all based on technological innovation right and I'm like I'm like what if a more advanced society is just more advanced less trauma like what if in 200 years we realize that technology isn't going to solve our problems we're going to still innovate technologically obviously like we can still create great things but realizing that's not the central innovation what would it look like for a world that lives with 80 percent less trauma than we currently have today like that's the future like that is a innovative future that i see not like one where we have flying cars and like all like a hyperloop and all all this stuff like no, I see the, like, uh, yeah, it's like, all right, these things are great. This, this, these things are awesome. They're going to help stop climate change given the current situation that we have. Like, I like the Tesla, like Tesla's a huge example, SpaceX, like these things are cool. They're soft. There's solving a lot of the problems as they are today, because we can't heal the planet right away. It's, it's a process. And like, we need some solutions that are going to help like everything's that's going on right now. And But then at the same time, if we get at the root of it, we can solve a lot of these problems by not having the the stuff occurring because of them. And I mean, this is what we talked about for the last hour. So it's like, I don't really need to add much context to that, but. Well, no, it's a great point in terms of what is, what does it mean for humans to evolve? Is it technology? Is Is it just inventing objects? Or like, is it inventing new ways of thinking, new ways to relate to self, man, like that's where it's at for us to evolve so that our neocortex is the chief mode of operation, not, not the amygdala of fear and tribalism, but trust, honesty, philosophical consistency, creativity, compassion all of this is generated through the front part of the brain right 
and that's that's the evolution we need because no matter how many fancy objects i mean it, it goes back to the minimalism stuff it's like trying to get happiness through status and and objects and gadgets and bigger houses and it's like you're, you're just numbing the inner pain with that stuff let's evolve from the inside out from the yeah. inside out build within your own life a, a, a life of a philosophical clarity and compassion and no one else can do that except you yeah no one else can live your life can experience your consciousness so <laughs> it's funny because people want to talk about, oh, like you're obligated to do this or that. You're obligated to go to the voting booth. It's like, if there's any obligation, it's to do self-development. But I, I don't believe in obligation. Like only do things out of joy. Like, and that's the, that's the thing. That's the icing on this cake. It's like, it's not just some, it's not an altruistic thing to work on yourself. Again, it's like, it's nourishing your life and your happiness quotient. Yeah. I got to love that term happiness quotient because it, it implies that happiness is multifactorial. And so the more you can meet various needs, the higher the happiness quotient, the greater joy you have. And that's just, that's a good enough reason right there. Forget the ripple effects, forget the butterfly effects <laughs> and, and world peace. You know, like that's, that's all intertwined as I see it, but in my own self-interest, but you're just going to feel more at peace because you're not, like you do do consistent journaling work and you get to know yourself rather than evade and deny and suppress parts of yourself, your daily life is going to be more peaceful because you're being honest with what's happening inside of you. And you're not trying to escape and, and turn a blind eye and like numb with muffins and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so good. That was, it's uh Yeah, so there, there's something. There was one thing that arose at the end there, and I lost it. But something that uh, the ways I like to think of it. All right, that's what it, that's what it was. One, yeah, you feel better. So it's like you talked about. Yeah, I'm nourishing myself, and if anything, you can just do it to feel better. And it's like, uh, but the way that we feel better is a lot of times misunderstood. So I feel a hundred times better, not because I'm not sad anymore, because I don't have the extra layer layer of unnecessary suffering on top of that sadness, because I had all this trauma and the shame and this guilt around it, like all the shame, guilt, trauma, like fear, all this stuff. That's like, it's like added on top of these base level emotions. Right. And like feeling I feel a hundred times better than I did three months ago, just because like, I finally like kind of understood some of the, like the mechanisms of what this work is. And like, I have a long way to go, but like, I'm starting to feel better, a lot better. And it's, I attribute that to taking away a lot of the extra unnecessary suffering. That's what I like to go back to. And like, we were talking about innovation and you talked about like, yeah, something that came up that was really, that I've been uh, calling it a lot. The term that I've, that landed on that I love is uh, psychotechnology. So people love thinking about like technologies and all this stuff. It's like, all right, well, it's let's just use the term psychotechnology. We're we're developing psychotechnologies. We're developing processes 
we're getting more, we're getting closer to the direct things that lead to directly to happiness and not the things that we think by achieving them will make us happy type of thing. So it's like, I think what I see in the future is that we will, as a culture, accept we'll understand these things more and more and we'll understand that happiness is achieved through these psychotechnological means of healing, of understanding oneself. This is how we actually achieve happiness, not through all the things that our society currently tells us will make us happy because those things are just things that we think if we get them, then our lives will automatically be more fulfilling where in reality it's like it never gets at the root and so we're i feel like what i see as the evolution of humanity is becoming getting more and more increasingly more precise of getting at the root of what actually makes us fulfilled as human beings yeah yeah and those of us who are forging this path can hopefully help again show people and inspire people that that is the way and we can evolve this culture. And it's a, maybe it's a surmounting a task that seems insurmountable given the amount of backwardsness in the culture, yeah. given that the amount of people who are not treating their bodies well, that are philosophically inconsistent, that are, you know, the fact that alcohol is, is worshiped mm-hmm. basically in our culture while psych- psychedelics remain schedule one. Exactly. exactly. Um, it, it's, it's really right there. It's just a great indication of the culture. The fact that this dangerous substance that creates all sorts of destruction, um, not that, not that you, you need to demonize alcohol. It's just that the, the, the effect that it has in so many ways versus the power of, of, of psychedelic mushrooms to tap into love and compassion and this, anything it's anti-addictive yeah right there is just like an indication of the culture that we're backwards as a culture so it seems kind of insurmountable how, how are we going to evolve but let's just start with where we are just start with where you are and uh it's totally going to be in your self-interest and yeah you're not going to have fulfilling life unless you do this because what i'm realizing if you want to be a, an alive person a fulfilling, fulfilled person who's doing exciting work. You need to be curious. And how, how are you, how, how are you curious that you get to tap into your inner child? Because so many of our, so many of us, the curiosity was squelched going through 15,000 hours of public school. Yeah. And so if you're not in touch with the curiosity and kind of like de-schooling yourself and, and deprogramming yourself and, rekindling the curiosity of the little child that was born with curiosity, you won't feel a sense of aliveness and fulfillment and like a sense of playfulness and dance. Yeah. Like it's so fun. It's so fun to be curious. And that's what I said at the beginning of this conversation is like the, just the fun love of wisdom, philosophy. And what does philosophy start with curiosity? It's like, it all goes back to, to curiosity. So you're going back to the, the child that had that. And if you, if you've lost touch with it, that's where to begin. But um, everyone listening to this is obviously curious because they're listening to Becoming Conscious. Like, yeah. but, um, you know, spread the, spread the good word through, through your own actions and inspire other people and, you know, do what makes you come alive because ask not what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive because the people, the world needs people who have come alive as, as Howard Thurman said. So I love that. 
that's that's so powerful so powerful um yeah i think that's a good place to end it that that very wrapped a nice bow on the whole thing um any any places the uh, the viewers can find you if they want to learn more about your work sure man um i have a podcast called exponentially empowered and just finished season two with that i'll be posting season starting season three in 2021 but that's all about this exact realm we've been talking about of, of empowering your own sphere of control and watching that those those results compound exponentially and there's so much potential we all have um, so exponentially empowered podcast and um my website's joelbind.com and i got uh hundreds of blog posts there that are kind of just like in this in this realm a lot of them just real short like i like to make short blog posts and yeah and um you can follow me on twitter at joel underscore bind and i try to post some stuff on this in a pithy way so appreciate you having me on ethan it's been a pleasure to share these ideas of consciousness and and creativity and thinking and healing and I would love to to do it again sometime. So I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. We'll have you on the podcast again sometime. <laughs>